millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Is America experiencing its Atlas Shrugged moment? Yes, folks, it is a deep dive Thursday. I'm Andrew Coppins. He's Pat Oni, and this is Critical Thinking. <laughs> Welcome into Critical Thinking. Like I said before, I'm Andrew Coppins. He's Pat Oni. You can follow me at The Coppins Show, him at The Pat Oni Show. Do not forget, you can watch us on Rumble, rumble.com backslash critical thinking, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. And you can always make sure that you are subscribing, you are downloading, rating, reviewing the podcast. Thank you to each and every single one of you who participate with the show every single day. Again, do not be afraid. You can DM us. You can add us at The Coppin Show, at The Pat Oni Show. Um, it is a deep dive Thursday. I asked a question about Atlas Shrugged, Pat. Uh, you, want, you want to fill the people in. Sure. So we're, we're, we're going to be going over an article from, from Fee.org today. Specifically, an article from John Miltmore, who I think is absolutely brilliant um, for the most part. And he, he's discussing this idea that with the people are voting with their feet. And we've talked a little bit about this before, but I don't think we've ever talked about it in this quite this light. And that is, is this the Atlas Shrugged moment of our, of our time? Um, and... As for someone who, who has not read the entire book, I read excerpts in college, um, but I've not read the entire book of Atlas Shrugged. So it took me a little bit to kind of figure out, like, what what did he mean by this? And what he's talking about is people like Citadel, for example, moving their business from Chicago to Miami. And other other companies moving from from blue states like New York, California, Illinois, New Jersey, and going to more red states that are more tax friendly. And also, I would even argue more friendly to the culture, because as he points out in this article, too, one of the reasons I think why they're moving Citadel from Chicago to Miami is that one of his people went out to get coffee and got mugged 
in Chicago. And he, I think he was getting kind of tired of. It, yeah, not just mugs. Mug that robbed gun at gunpoint. Point. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I want to back up real quick because there are probably people who have never read or understood Atlas Shrugged. They've heard the terms. They've heard, you know, certain maybe quotes and they don't even know that they're from the book or they've heard about Ayn Rand, but they don't really know who Ayn Rand is. So the basic gist of Atlas Shrugged is it is a story. It is a, it is a story of a uh, dystopian future. Okay. But Uh it is about a small group of industrialists. And mind you that this book was written, early on in the 20th century. So this is a small group of industrialists. They are living in this dystopian future. They're struggling to keep their businesses afloat. There's oppressive government. There's um, mooching politicians. And then they just walk away. They're sick and tired of the system. They're sick and tired of the mooching politicians, the government regulations up the wazoo, the oppressive government. And then what do they do? They are taking all their wealth, all that creativity, all that innovation, and just going away. That's the basic plot of Atlas Shrugged. There's a lot more detail in there, and it's important detail. But the basic gist of it is between oppressive government, uh, mooching politicians, social unrest, all that sort of stuff, they pick their balls up and leave. And that goes to your point here, Pat, right? When you talk about Ken Jennings, or not Ken Jennings, Ken Griffin, sorry. Yep. Uh, Ken Griffin uh, moving the Citadel, one of the largest hedge funds in, and one of the most recognizable hedge funds in a city that has been struggling to keep its financial district in order, if you will, right? Here in Chicago. Right. The Chicago Board of Exchange, Chicago Board of Trade. Um, it's, It's an iconic... Outside of the New York Stock Exchange, it's probably the second thing that people would think of when they think of uh, financial centers here in the United States. Okay, But he took his ball and left. And with it, and we talked about this, right? The billions of dollars, the hundreds of, th- uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars for each one of the workers. And so I want you to understand that when they're talking about Atlas Shrugged, we have to look at it from the perspective of that plot, right? Are we seeing oppressive government? Do we see mooching politicians? Are we seeing social unrest? Are we seeing government so oppressive that people want out? So I wanted people to, to understand what Atlas Shrugged was about first. But, sure. but continue, Pat. I, I appreciate because you've read you've you've read. I mean, it's been years since I mean, I've only read excerpts of the book. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's been uh, probably four years since I read it. Yeah, it's it's been it's been longer for me. So which, by the way, Pat, this is a really great time to also mm-hmm. let our viewers and listeners know uh, we are going to start a summer reading series. Um, we're not sure exactly when this is going to start. Probably after the 4th of July is kind of where we're thinking about this. But we are going to read Atlas Shrugged. It is a monumental task, uh, but we are going to read Atlas Shrugged. So 
what we are going to do is this is going to live um, as a live um, summer reading series. Um, it's going to be on criticalthinking.locals.com as well as probably our Rumble page. We're, we're figuring out how we want to um, make that live um, situation work itself out, but um, you're going to want to pick up your copy of Atlas Shrugged when you get a chance uh, because we are going to read it um, and we're going to study it because I think it is a very important, as we're about to talk about, a very important study on not just the consequences, but what can you do about your situation? Because Atlas Shrugged isn't just a, I picked up my ball and left. That's not what that book is totally about. So we're going to dive deep into it over the summer. Um, so pick up your copy of Atlas Shrugged. Get ready. It is coming your way um, after our 4th of July break. And uh, yeah, just get ready. Therefore, uh, I to 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 get this kind of started here. I, w I want to start with the data that that uh, John Milmore points out here. Yeah, and let me and bring let me bring it up real quick for you, Pat, because I actually have it so that uh, people can have a visual aid as to what we're talking about. Again, this is from fee.org. So, uh, data show that several populous blue states, California, New York, and Illinois, among them, have been losing population in companies for years. In 2021, Forbes wrote about left, left UGs fleeing blue states for red ones. A few years before that, a headline in The Hill touched on the, the great exodus out of America's blue cities. New IRS data, however show that the speed of which blue states are losing taxpayers and their adjusted gross income is increasing. A recent Wall Street Journal analysis found that more than 100,000 people left Illinois in 2021, taking them some 11 billion in AGI, or again, adjusted gross income, nearly double its 2019 total. For New York, it was $24.5 billion, an increase of more than 150% from 2019. California, meanwhile, saw its AGI loss $29 billion, more than triple since 2019. And, and Pat, this is something that, that uh, I have brought up on the show in the past, right? And we have talked about what's happening here in the state of Illinois, and and we had framed it from the perspective of this is the story the GOP should be telling. This is the story that Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, whomever, this is the success story that they should be telling because the success story that they should be telling is where are those people going? They're not just picking their ball up and doing what? They're not just going from... Chicago to New York or New York to L.A. or vice versa and every every other blue state in between. That's not what's happening here. Because <clears throat> data tells us that, right? Right. Because data tells us that people are migrating from those states to the tune of this. Taxpayers giving up on the prairie state and the empire state made about $35,000 more than their new arrivals. For Florida... 
The data is even more stark. The average income for a new arrival to the Sunshine State was roughly $150,000, more than double those that left Florida. So Florida is gaining double its income population. What does that do to your society? It changes the equation is what it does. Well, there are those that 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 don't apparently subscribe to this idea because uh, according to John Milmore, the Atlantic accepts the reality that the major migration is underway, one that undercuts the conventional wisdom that democratic states are the future, but rejects the idea that they are dying. New York City isn't some dystopian wasteland where no one can see their future. Damas may be right, but it's hard to deny the dystopian character to what we're witnessing in major U.S. cities, including surging crime, failing schools, and social unrest. Yes, Andrew Coppins, you have a response to that? Um, so, Pat, I have a very quick question. Do you know when this article was written in The Atlantic? Did you, did you check it out? Uh, I didn't check out The Atlantic article. Let me. I can actually pull it up really quick, though. Okay, because I'm just curious as to when this was written, because... I don't know anybody who has left the state that is not leaving the state because they believe it to be a dystopian hellscape. February 9th of this year. Okay, that that explains a little bit because this was pre-understanding of all the crime that is that that has been making headlines um within the transit system. Um you know, the the issues with crime there, all that sort of stuff. Quite literally, this is what people who are interviewed about why they are leaving. A great example of this actually is also Buck Sexton, Pat. The uh, the now famous radio host, the host of the Buck Sexton or Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show, right? Taking over uh, Rush Limbaugh's spot on the, the radio dials. I, I had listened to the podcast once in a while because I find Buck to be one of the, the most thoughtful individuals um, that's out there. Um, Did he leave New York? He left, so he got married, and him and his right. wife have left New York. He is a lifetime New York resident with all of his family living there for the most part. Right? He grew up there. He went to high school there. He did not go to college there, but he returned back, and he had fought and fought and fought and fought, and he left to go to Miami. Ken Griffin left, went to Miami. And what did we see in Miami-Dade County? The largest flip to red that that county in that area has ever seen before in the last election cycle. And this is only continuing. So I ask myself, is are we, again, the, the premise of the article, are we seeing an Atlas Shrugged moment? That moment where people are indeed picking up their ball, taking it, and going elsewhere with it. They're taking their ingenuity, their creativity, their wealth, their social values, all of that sort of stuff, and going elsewhere. I have talked about where you see that, that population migration happening. Right? It is not, again, it is not as if we are seeing these people leaving and just going to neighboring states where they could still get the, the cultural benefit of, of Chicago. And you might wonder what that cultural benefit is these days, right? But, um, you know, you've got the great museums. You've got the food scene that is out of this world, right? 
You've got things that you wouldn't necessarily have in other areas. You know, you look at San Francisco as another example of this, right? You see companies picking up flagship stores and and closing them up and others waiting out their their leases, some of them breaking their leases to get the hell out. We are seeing companies, people saying enough is enough. And I I wonder if uh, Jerusalem Damas, who wrote the article in The Atlantic, would still think what he thinks if he were to know the data, if he were to understand what companies are leaving and why they're leaving, if he would still think that that is what, because people speaking with their feet tell you something, right? They tell you something is wrong and you should listen to them when you are asking them what's wrong. Why are you gone? What can we do to keep you here? And the number one thing that people say when they leave is not necessarily the tax situation because they've been, this isn't a new situation to California, New York, New Jersey, Illinois. That ain't new. That's been there forever. But it's the combination of all of those things and then watching the social unrest and the mores and the just dystopian. Let's put it this way. Prior to this year, I would have no problem walking and getting onto the red line and going from our place to um, to Guaranteed Rate Field, which is the home of the White Sox on the south side. Okay, the the stop is right there outside of the uh, stadium. Okay, you have like maybe a quarter of a mile of a walk to get there from the the stop. Cheap, easy, convenient, right? It takes a little bit of time, but it's super convenient when you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, parking and driving and all that sort of stuff. Now, there ain't no way in hell you are getting me on that red line with all the issues that happen at various stops along the way. You got to go through downtown. You got to go through one of the biggest uh, crime areas, which is the Roosevelt stop, where people are being mugged. People are being robbed, shot at, murdered on a pretty significant basis. I ain't doing that, especially not for a night game. Right? Right. That that's a that's a shift, not just in mentality. That's a that's a hard stop. That that ain't happening. I ain't doing that. I would rather sacrifice a good time at the ballpark. For my own safety. That's the scenario that is in front of people. That is what has changed. And that's what they speak to. So I struggle to understand how this guy writes this article in the Atlantic and says, well, it's not a dystopian wasteland where nobody can see their future. That's literally what they're saying. That's literally what people like Buck Sexton and people like some of my friends right, are saying when they leave these cities. I can't see a future here. It's unsafe. I don't get anything for the massive amount of taxes that I chip into. The education system is failing, despite, especially here in Chicago, we are spending over $19,000 per pupil. It used to be 14, and now it's 19, I believe. I'll have to double check that number, but it's somewhere between 14 and 19. $1,000 per student. 
and 85% of people in CPS can't read at their grade level. 75% of them, it's something like 90% can't do math at their grade level. We have students, you know, flunking out. We have students just not attending school in massive droves. What future is there? They're seeing all of those things adding up, and they are saying, I hung on, and now, now is that tipping point, and I'm out. Can we actually talk about Chicago for just a second? Because yeah. you'll be more of an authority on this than I would be. But, uh, you know, you guys elected CT or local ones. Um, yeah, CTUs. Black Brandon Johnson recently, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he won that, that election by roughly, give or take, 20,000 votes. Um, the, he didn't win the election by 20,000 votes. He outpaced Lori Lightfoot in the initial free-for-all because we, mm. we have a one-ballot one uh, system here right okay. uh, when it comes to the mayoral race like so if again it's kind of like in georgia and florida if nobody gets 50 percent, there's a runoff okay um he outpaced Lori lightfoot in that initial voting by about twenty thousand votes that's a correct statement he beat okay. the brakes off of pal paul vallis though in in the next okay. election okay so so with with that said uh, that's a, a, a fraction of 175,000 people who left Cook County from 2020 to 2022. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you don't lose those people, does Brandon Johnson have a future as mayor? Oh, a hundred percent. 100%. And here's why, because a lot of those people are, are ironically the people who would have populated areas that are heavily progressive mm -hmm. in nature. Now, the question being, did they get pushed to to the point of red pill, right? I don't know that that's necessarily the case, and that's the ultimate question here. Have they changed their value system? Has, hmm. has their experience, right, has that moment in which they, that aha moment, that moment that breaks them, has it broken them to change how they're looking at the world? Or is it purely a selfish endeavor and they're going to continue to believe their political value system that they've been advocating for for 15, 20, 30 years, whatever it's been, right? Mm -hmm. That's the ultimate question we don't have an answer to. However, the indicator of that kind of change is that they're not going to wishy-washy states you know, kind of bluish states. Yeah, Colorado, whatever. That's always been a, a a purplish state. It's not really been that deep red for a very long time. You know, they're they're going to an Idaho. They're going to Utah. They're they're going to this place or that place, right? Right. They're populating areas. And here's a great indicator of this. Actually, um, let's talk about Idaho real quick. People, people that left for Idaho early on in the last like five years are now repopulating back into California. So what does that tell you? 
that might tell you that they're unwilling to not have their political values represented in government and that they're not actually changing. You know, you, you talk about the Make Texas Blue movement, right? Mm-hmm. So some of that is at play. So I think the, the big question as we deep dive on into this is really, is it just a selfish endeavor or is something actually changed? And how much of it is the 15, 20% here in Chicago that vote GOP or identify in the GOP libertarian realm and are gone? How many of those are the ones that are leaving? I would suggest quite a bit of it when you got the, the you know, the Griffins at, at Citadel. We have the second largest uh, financial firm here. Um, also indicating they're gone by the end of this year. Um, we also have, you know, people like myself and and all of our friends literally saying, what is the point? Like I say to people, like, you're hanging on for the food. Have you ever been to a semi-large area that's had bad food? That doesn't have a food scene to it? No. Right? Now you're hanging on to what? Have you been to small towns that don't have great food? Now, I've never been to a small town that has crappy food. Why? Because crappy food. Now, you might not have the variety, quote unquote, that you have here in Chicago. Like you literally could eat around the world or eat at a different place every single day of the year and probably take you two to three years to eat through the city. That's the reality, right? Could you do that in a small town America? Probably not. Well, can you enjoy your food? Can you get great meals? Absolutely. In fact, I can guarantee you that in some small towns, you're going to get a better, closer to uh, farm-to-table meal than you will here in the city. In some instances. In some instances. I'm not saying that all the way. So as as I look at that, that's really the question that I don't know we know the answer to. I will say this, whether this is a selfish endeavor of I've been taxed too much or it's a uh, Karen move, right, if you will. How many Karens are moving in in so much as, okay, well, I, I'm you know paying for a multi-million dollar home in which I see burglaries and car thefts and robberies and beatings and murders. On my on my street with a multi million dollar home, I'm out. I'm gonna go somewhere else, right? And then they're not moving to the suburbs; they're moving elsewhere. Why? A selfish endeavor with values or without those values? That's the ultimate question. Has the values changed for me? Because when you read Atlas Shrugged, it is about an exercise of not just their economic free will, not just that they're ticked off over government. Right. It is that they are attempting to live out their values. So that is ultimately my question. Is your values or are your values economic in nature? Are your values social in nature? What are they? Because if you're leaving and going to Florida or South Carolina or Tennessee, right? You can find that blue state value in a place like Knoxville, in a place like Nashville, right? But if you go 30 miles outside of the city, you don't find that anymore. There's like that great dichotomy that doesn't exist in a place like Chicago, where you have got to go an hour and a half, two hours outside of the city to find it. 
Well, since you're bringing some of this stuff up, um, who is John Galt, right? I think is, is kind of the question that we have to answer here. And um, because, I mean, I, I, like I said, I haven't read the full book, so this kind of ruined a little bit for me. So spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book, um, Milmore goes into eventually we, we of course learn that Galt is a disgruntled visionary and entrepreneur and is inviting the best and brightest in society to join him in abandoning the looters and leaving them <laughs> to their own fate. He explains why in a long speech near the end of the novel, which touches on Rand's philosophy of volunteerism, individualism, and capitalism. Quote, all the men who have vanished the, the men you hated yet dreaded to lose it is I who have taken them away from you. Do not attempt to find us. We do not choose to be found. Do not cry that our, that it is our duty to serve you. We do not recognize such duty. Do not cry that you need us. We do not consider need a claim. Do not cry that you own us. You don't. Do not beg us to return. We are on strike. We, the men of the mind, we are on strike against self-immolation. I would argue that that what we are seeing, and, and, and maybe we don't necessarily have all the conclusive evidence in the world, other than that we tend to see a lot of these big companies and, and other people who have been leaving in droves from these very blue states over the last few years, are voting with their feet, that they're taking their innovation and their intelligence and ultimately their money with them. And it's hurting, it, it, well, it's ultimately going to hurt if it's not already these blue states because they have become these crazy dystopian wasteland type societies. Yeah, I they mean, really have. I mean, you yeah. know, the the concept of wilding or or I don't know if you've seen this now where people are going into mm -hmm. quote unquote empty houses or houses that are unlocked and just chilling out in them. You know, somebody's gonna get shot over that, right? Like you you right. you enter my uh abode, uh uh, nope. <clears throat> I ain't gonna be nice about it. And then what it, happens, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and here's here's the thing. Like, like we we often talk about small business entrepreneurship being the lifeblood of our our economy and our 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 way of life here in America. Absolutely. You go back to the the the, the summer riots of 2020, and basically over the last few years, people are tired. They they've lost their livelihoods to to things like this. They're done, mm -hmm. and so they they pick up, they take their ball, and they leave. You know, and, and I think a great example of this, Pat, actually exists in my hometown, Green Bay, Wisconsin. That's where I'm from. That's where I lived for all of my childhood. Um, went to college for four years, but, you know, in the summer I was home, right? Mm. Um, and it's only been the last nine years that I have not lived in Chicago. So I spent over 30 years living here in in uh, or living there. In Green Bay, Green Bay, Wisconsin was just ranked the number one city in the United States to live by U.S. World, uh, U.S. News and World Report. The number one city to live in. That's correct. Wow. Pat. 
Wow. So that's a great I, that's a great sense of civic pride, right? Sure, sure, absolutely. But, but the answer, the question is why. And here's part of it. Whatever you think of Microsoft as a company, whatever you think of some of these corporations, right? Mm-hmm. They're investing in startup projects. They are putting inc- business incubators there. Um, why? Because there's actually money in Green Bay, Wisconsin. People don't realize there are multimillionaire retirees all over that area. People don't realize that the paper industry and the things that came 30 years ago, right, have laid a groundwork that has allowed for wealth creation in that area. Um, there are Airbnb entrepreneurs that have, you know, gobbled up areas around Lambeau Field and in Green Bay and in Ashwaubenon, the the neighboring area where they carved out Lambeau Field. Technically, it's Green Bay, but right across the street is Ashwaubenon, okay? Um, They're putting engineering, they just started an engineering program at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. Uh, the Medical College of Wisconsin and St. Norbert College, the private college that's in De Pere, which is a uh, suburb of Green Bay. Like, it's right there. Um, so you're starting to see a massive amount in, of investment in that area. And ironically, it's as purple as purple can get. It's voted for Obama. It's voted for Trump. It voted for Biden. It's voted for George W. Bush, blah, 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 blah. It's gone every which way politically. It's elected both Democrats and Republicans over the last 20 years to the House of Representatives. It's voted for the governor almost every single time in the last 30 years. And there's been lots of Democrats and lots of Republicans in there. The the point of that is what? That an area like that, it's actually not about its politics. It's about its values, its social, moral, and cultural situation. It's about its wealth as well. It has good value, right? People are looking at that and saying, wait a second, I can get the same type of house without the political BS, right? I can get all of the things that I want, right? I have the the moral compasses or the social compasses, the culture. I have, you know, and I can do it with that $3 million house being a $400,000 house. Or I, I can go to the suburb and be 10 minutes away from the city, not 45 minutes. Or I can invest in the city itself in a major way. And so people are looking at it from that perspective. That's why some of these cities are, these smaller cities are becoming way more attractive, right? Because they hold that Atlas Shrugged moment in their hand, if you will, right? They, they literally have that package of, wait a second, it's not a blue area. It's not a red area. It has, whether you are red or blue, if you will, if you wear those stripes, largely Green Bay, Wisconsin doesn't care. Largely Green Bay, Wisconsin cares about its Green Bay Packers. It's cheese, of course, because it's Wisconsin. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's beverages. And it's people. That's it. I feel like you forgot the fish fry. That that goes to <laughs> the rest of it. Sure, well, the fish fry exists. the The supper club exists because it's about social gathering, right? 
That's really it's about the people. It's about the people. And that's really what you're seeing with Florida, with South Carolina, with Utah, with Idaho. They have cultivated cultures of people first. They've cultivated culture based off of moral, social um, fabric. There, there, there's something that binds everybody together. Now, somebody from Chicago who is ultra progressive, you're going to have some issues. You are, uh, you are going to be that 15%. You're going to feel what it's like to be the other way around. But it ain't because most people are red. It's because most people don't think about your politics all the time. Don't care about your politics all the time. And you're used to a society that just caters and crave, uh, caves in to your politics all the time. And that's why I wanted to bring that up, because I think it's a great juxtaposition to what's going on in Chicago, right? Well, how did Green Bay get ranked at the number one? It's not just about its you know, relative safety. It's not just about the fact that um, it has good value in terms of its real estate. It, there are plentiful jobs. There are, it's a great um, healthcare center, high-paying jobs, industrial jobs. There's a great mix of everything that you could possibly want there. Now, if you're a tech bro, it's also great because as a startup company, right, you don't have as much startup problems as you do here in a place like Chicago where rent, uh, renting an office space is insane, right? The rent on that is nuts. It's probably less now than it was two years ago or four years ago, but it's still relative Green Bay, Wisconsin. That rent price is way crazier. There are people who are being educated in engineering, educated in the the technology sciences. People are being educated in healthcare, which guess what? Also has a lot of technology involved in it today, right? So there's a lot of things that, that are beneficial to small towns like that. And we're seeing it not just in Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's, you know, Asheville, North Carolina has a lot of wealth to it. It always has, but it has now become almost a center of I- industry and business, right? It's become a hot place to be. Because of similar things like Green Bay, Wisconsin, you look at uh, Greenville and Spartanburg, uh, South Carolina. Why did BMW, why are Mercedes Benz, why are all these manufacturing companies coming there? Right? Because there are not just economic benefits to being there. It, it, it is attracting a workforce, right? And that's what we're seeing in these areas. Whereas the detraction from attracting a workforce here in Chicago is all the crime, the insane taxes, all the stuff that we've been talking about. So what incentive is being given to people to move? There's a lot of incentive. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the, the experiment that is America and why the GOP needs to tell that story, why the libertarians need to tell that story. Guess what? It works. People are literally picking up and moving showing you with their feet what their real values are, what they really hold important. And it's their pocketbook, their family's safety. And that's about it. The rest of it goes by the wayside. Whatever you see from them on Twitter, whatever you see and hear from them, the rest of it doesn't matter if you can't get the economic situation right and you can't be safe. That's it. And that's what these places are providing or what they, what people are seeing be provided. I mean, I, I, I think that's a good summary of what we're actually seeing and what this article is actually really getting at at the end of the day. 
Um, I want to I, I want to touch on this really quick. This idea, because I, I know a lot of people feel probably feel stuck in a lot of these places like like they see like, oh, all these people are leaving. I like to leave, too, but I can't. Well, technically, yes, you can, mm-hmm. but there might be anchors there that are holding you to what like whether it's family members that that you know can't leave whatever the case may be i i I don't know i'm not i'm not going to sit here and be the judge of that my my advice to anybody is if you are in one of these situations where you are questioning your economic prosperity for your individual family or you're questioning your safety or you're even questioning the culture in terms of are my values being represented here and if if none of those things are happening i would suggest pack your bags and leave find a place that that you will have those things i know mm-hmm. that's easier said than done i'm aware um, so what do you i do? think I, I really think that that is an absolute myth i really do what that's easier said than done yeah i really do I, think that it's an absolute myth and, and here's why, okay. Pat. Okay. Because it, it it because if it's about your family's economic wealth or their safety or whatever, right? Those things that are that are the most important, if you will, putting it on that list. I would argue your family and it's in the safety of your family is first, and then that economic situation is second. Like if you don't sure. have that security that your family is safe, none of the rest of it matters, right? Right. Or that you're working towards better bettering that. Okay. Here's why I think this is an absolute myth, this idea that you're stuck or this this idea that um, that it might be difficult. That's the point. Right. It, it, yeah, it might be difficult. But we should be able to make difficult decisions. I don't accept the I don't accept the premise that that anybody is stuck anywhere ever. No, that's not true. That is not true. It is what you mentally make out of that situation. If you believe that you're stuck, well, I don't have enough in savings. Okay, that might actually be somewhat true, but have you talked to anybody? Have you sat down and really looked at your situation and said, oh, wait, I'm spending $100 every week on booze or I'm spending, you know, we go out for four meals out of the week, right? Okay, well, maybe stay home for two of those four meals. And give yourself a target. You might say, yeah, I am temporarily stuck in this position, right? Well, give yourself a goal and a target and start achieving and start putting some discipline into your life. Nobody's ever stuck in a situation. Nobody. I guess, and I I, I hear what you're saying on that. I guess what I'm getting towards is maybe you can't move tomorrow, right? Sure, but... But, but is your situation going to change in the next six months uh, or a year to the positive in this in this city? No, right? No. So so my point right. in that is you can plan, say, I'm targeting one year from now, we're gone. That's a reasonable amount of time to figure your situation out and go. Well, and in the meantime, how do you prepare? That That's where I'm ultimately going with this is let's just say like, yeah, yeah, like, I, I, I'm going to need a little bit of time. Like I'm going to leave, but I need a little bit of time to prepare to that, to make that move. In other words, figure out where you're going to go, figure out how you're going to do it, figure out how you're going to afford it. All of the above. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? 
I, I think it's a matter of understanding where you are. You have to understand where you are financially, where you are uh, morally, right? Mm. I have you dug into that. I don't know. But it's also to people who say, well, I can't just up and leave. Sure as hell can. You sure as hell can. You would be surprised uh, at what your circumstances will do to help you change how you look at your own situation. You would be surprised at what happens when you go from living in this city in which you think that that two bedroom apartment is a $3,000 a month expense to that might be a $1,500 a month expense. You're already spending that money, right? That's money gone. You, you're already budgeting for it. You're, even if you're on a shoestring budget, would $1,500 more in your pocket matter to you? Oh, absolutely. It it's a change in mindset. It's right. a change in how you look at things. You have to work on that. And I will tell you this right now, being involved in a mugging or you know seeing somebody get shot or whatever have you, right? Whatever situation makes you into that instant I need out or for... For example, we're going to create a wealth tax or we're we're going to directly tax an individual, right? We're going to, as a city, directly tax you. You don't have that power, F you. Get bent with the Constitution, right? Or they're going to attempt to create uh, a tax on, you know, a million-dollar home. That could easily just be a multifamily unit that you are owning for the multi-generations of your family that want to live together, right? You're going to get taxed on that to a point where you can't sell that property, right? Or that you can't afford to do so. Does that change your situation? Hell yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. It instantly changes your situation. It instantly tells you you've got to find a way out before that thing happens. And that might, by the way, they might pass it and say, you've got one month. We're going to change that tax code in one month. What do you do? You've got to come up with that fight or flight plan. So you'd be surprised when you have your mindset changed for you or you change it exactly how easy it is. You know, I, I look at my own personal situation. How did I move to Chicago? Why in the hell would I have wanted to move to Chicago? It was my own personal economic situation. The opportunities were better for me here than they were back in, in Green Bay. Why? Because I was working my way up the ladder, if you will, of sports journalism. And in order for me to be able to get to locations conveniently, quickly, easily, with less money involved, being here in Chicago was the, the center of all of that, covering the Big Ten, right? If I needed to get to a location, I could do so way easier and way cheaper here than there. I made a very quick economic decision for myself, right? Because it was just me. There's nobody else involved. I made that decision to benefit me, to benefit my own situation. Now, things happened and changed around that situation shortly after I moved here. But I found myself in a situation in which I enjoyed the social aspects of what was going on here. And, and you know, the job prospects were better for me. Um, you know, all that sort of stuff. I, and, and then I ended up meeting my wife. You know, and we've had discussions about, you know, doing what we need to do now, 
right? Now that things are changing. But I will tell you this, if we see some more of that economic progressivism and not even progressivism, just pure on socialism, it's a pretty easy, I'm out of here. And, you know, we've talked about the, the different scenarios that get us out of here and how do we do it, right? The, but you have to change the mindset. That's how I got to Chicago. I changed my mindset. I didn't want to get just, oh, I could do my job anywhere, right? Well, except for if I wanted to go to State College over the weekend, right, to go cover a game. I would have to leave on Wednesday to do that for a Saturday game and hope and pray I get back on Sunday. No. I, I want to be able to leave on a Friday, get there, boom, get back on Saturday night or Sunday morning because it's easy. You know, that, that was the reality that I was dealing with, and it was a mindset change. Anybody can do that, and it can be forced upon you, or you do it for yourself. And that's what we're seeing with, you know, the Ken Griffin. We're seeing it with um, all the other people that have been interviewed about it. You know, Donald Trump is a great example of it, too. Why did he leave for Mar-a-Lago? It was a mindset change. It, it was forced upon him, I would argue, but it was a mindset change, right? Oh, bleep, I want out because, oh, bleep, the taxes and oh, bleep this. They hit that tipping point. This is why it's important to be prepared, though. Right. Is because if you need to make that change on a whim, you need to be prepared for it. And preparation doesn't have to be financial, by the way. It can just simply be, Mm -hmm. I'm going to figure that part out. Preparation can be your mindset. Or understanding what you're digging and understanding what your values are, what you value about yourself, about your family, about where you live, how you live, what you want in a location, right? It can be digging into what you value socially. Do you value being able to to go out? Uh, Do you value having more families around you or do you value more of the professional single lifestyle? Do you value this, that, or the other thing? Where are you in your life? You know, how do retirees make decisions? The vast majority of them are making economic self-interest decisions, right? Another great example of this. How many times have we heard the story about people who have left California, kept their jobs in California, right? but are living in Mexico or are living elsewhere on a shoestring budget compared and then saving all the money that they can, right? By living in a Mexico city or wherever else. That's a great example of a change in your mindset, a change in your values, a change in what you actually value. And it is okay, by the way, I want people to hear this message too. It is okay to have economic self-interest. Flat out. It is okay to be economically self-interested. Here's why. Because the government is also economically self-interested. And it's going to to take its self-interest and squeeze every last dollar out of you that it possibly can in a blue state. And then some. Just like they did in Atlas Shrugged, they mooched off of these people. So it's okay for you to have some economic self-interest. And that economic self-interest doesn't have to be, I need to make every single dollar that I can. That economic self-interest can be, I'm going to make sure that my dollars and cents that I earn also help me with my social, physical, and 
moral values. That's that's oh, okay. It's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. All right. Well, Pat, uh, with all of that being said, any final thoughts? Uh, are we in this Atlas Shrugged moment? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. I, I, I think we're at the beginning until more people wake up to the information that we have been providing you for literally a month. Now we have literally been saying, Hey folks, wake up in the GOP. Hey, libertarian party, wake up. You have a story. You have a narrative that can win you this election because all you need to say is you want less of Chicago and more of South Carolina. You want less of Chicago and more of Florida in your life. I know how to do it. We know how to do it. We've put that in and you guys are speaking by saying no to these places and moving here. Your economic self-interest is suggesting that these are the places you want to be. And these are the values economically, morally, socially, physically that you want to live out. If you want more of that, if you want the federal government off of your back to allow more of this experimentation on these state levels, then elect us. Is that the message at all? No, we get the petty BS of Donald Trump. We get the Nikki Haley BS, right? The old school chamber of Congress, which has now gone to the far left, by the way. We don't hear anybody touting that message, that success message. Now, Ron DeSantis talks about Florida, right? A little bit here and there. But is he connecting that message to why people have gone there? No. He's touting the numbers. He's touting the, the you know, cultural things and the culture war things that he's been fighting. But he's not telling the right story. If anybody out there has a ear to Ron DeSantis, please tell him to tell that story and leave the rest of it off because it's the only thing that people really care about right now. That's it. And with that, Pat, your final thoughts on today's show. Don't get lost. Remember who you are. No means no. And uh, let's all contribute to the uh, go send. Go send me. Go give, send, go. go. Give, send, go. Give, send, go fund to uh, Andrew Coppins' uh, Get Out of Chicago fund. Yes, please, please. If somebody would like to start that and they're, they're uh, willing and able, I, uh, great. That would be fantastic. I just don't want to be neighbors with Pat Honey. Ouch. Ow. <laughs> please be smart, be safe, be kind. And as always, make sure you eat all of your meals today. And Matthew 547. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory. But boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.